welcome back to the Snakes Cast. I'm Jonathan. I'm Emily. And it's Wednesday, which means we're going to go a little bit deeper than Monday's episode. We're still talking about terminology, but this time we're going to get into the terminology of mechanisms. Now, what is a mechanism? A mechanism is part of the rules of the game. It's part of the sort of cogs and wheels, the imaginary pieces that fit together to construct the experience of the game. And that might sound kind of confusing, but we're going to give you some examples that should be pretty familiar to you. classic game mechanism that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with is this roll and move mechanism, which is exactly what it sounds like. You roll the dice or you pop the little bubble with the dice in it, or you spin the spinner, or you draw the card, you move forward that many spaces, and sometimes you do a thing. Uh, This includes, you know, classics like Monopoly, Sorry, Trouble, The Game of Life. Actually, most, like, there's not a lot of new roll and move games It's true. Out. It's very much kind of fallen out of fashion. It was everywhere in Victorian-style games, and that really sort of informed the early 20th century. So Monopoly, you roll dice and you move. And Clue, you roll dice and you move. If you put dice in front of a player, even in a game that doesn't have a roll-and-move element, often they will sort of instinctively grab the dice and roll them and want to move. Yeah, and be like, okay, I rolled an eight. What do I do now? That's like, how games well, work, right? You sit there and you think about the number that you just rolled, and that's it. <laughs> We mentioned uh, Classic Americana as a category of game at uh, the Snakes and Lattes Library. That's that's mostly where you find the roll and move mm, games. Definitely. Like, not all Classic Americana games have roll no. and move elements, but most roll and move games are Classic Americana. Speaking of old mechanisms for games, memory. Uh, any game where you have to remember stuff that happened earlier in the game could be called a memory game. So the one that you've probably seen is, well, I was I was introduced to this game. It's called Concentration, and I played this when I was little. There'll be a bunch of cards laid out on the table, and they're all face down, and they're in pairs. So on your turn, you pick two of them, you flip them up. If they match, you keep them, and you have another turn. If they don't match, you flip them back face down again, and it's the next player's and turn. And you try to remember where they were for exactly. next time it comes around. So next time you flip up the little blue fish, you can try like, oh, <laughs> I picked up the fish earlier. Where is it? Uh, I always played that, and it was just called Memory, which is nice and straight to the point. Sure. Uh, pick two, Memory, Concentration. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a public domain game, but uh, it's also not the only game that involves having to remember stuff that happened before. Like, for example, if you're playing poker, it's probably a good idea to remember the cards that were showing when other players folded them. Cause a little that, bit. Any little edge, especially in a game like that, is going to matter. And there's lots of other games, too, that involve memory elements. Um, another mechanism that pops up a lot, not necessarily by itself, but in addition to a lot of things, is an auction right. mechanic. That means exactly what you think it does. Uh, I want this thing. I'm going to bid money on it. Uh, David also wants this thing. He's going to bid money on it. If Jonathan also wants this thing. He's going to bid money on and it. And then we start swearing at each other because I didn't want to pay that much, and you just raised the bid, and I still don't want it, but I need the thing. And you, Why are you bidding the thing up? And sometimes you want it just because the other person wants it, and you <laughs> want them to not have it more than you want to have it yourself, and... Yeah, and then so sometimes you bid it up and you realize, oh no, I went too high. Now the other players are going to let me have it on this thing that I didn't really want. I just wanted to make them overpay for it. It's, a lot of ways for things to go wrong. Auction games are for jerks. Auction games are for jerks. A lot of games are for jerks, you know? But like auction <laughs> games, just because there's money involved, even if it's fake money involved, it feels more direct, like yeah, front, right? Exactly. You know, it's, it's not passive. It's very much like, I am taking your money. I'm doing this thing. I'm making you pay more money. But you're not directly attacking them and blowing up their stuff like in Risk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, games that have auction mechanisms in them aren't necessarily auction games. Like again, Monopoly. Mm-hmm. You land on a property that nobody owns, it gets auctioned off to the the highest bidder. Well, as long as you're playing by the proper rules, Which right? most people don't do. <laughs> Let's see. What other mechanisms are there? Ooh, drafting. 
drafting is uh, well you remember picking teams in the schoolyard right I'll take you I'll take you uh, drafting is a mechanism in a game where you take turns picking stuff to be your thing um, in one example in something like Seven Wonders or Sushi Go each player has a hand of cards and you look at your cards you decide which one you want to keep you put that one in front of you and then you pass everything else to the player on your left and the person on your right passes you some stuff and you look at those you decide which one you want to keep you keep it and you pass everything else to your left and you lather and rinse and repeat Drafting games are another sort of way to be jerks to each other without directly attacking one another's stuff because there's drafting and then there's hate drafting. There's taking the thing that I need and there's taking the thing that I know the person on my left needs because I don't want them to have it. Spite. Spite. Love spite board games. (laughs) So good. Um, Another way to be spiteful, maybe less so, but um, negotiation is an important element in a lot of board games. Sometimes it relates back to drafting or auction mechanics. You know, depending how much talk is allowed during the game, you can be like, "I see you want that thing." I'm not going to bid this up if you don't bid me up on that other thing. Yes, let's let's we're all in this together for right now. (laughs) And next round, maybe not. Who knows? Um, There are also games where like the negotiation is built in a little bit more, like a lot of games like Catan. Mm. rely heavily on trading which is kind of a mechanic in and of itself but I think it really folds in negotiation really well like trying to figure out very much so sacrificing your own stuff for maybe the greater good later and making deals temporarily and uh, one of the other nice things about a negotiation game when there's negotiation elements in a game it means that if you're winning the other players have a way to bring you down mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily involve attacking your stuff. They're just going to make deals with each other. Yeah, they're going to hold you. hands and exactly. just kick you down. They're going to sing Kumbaya together and that's going to make fail. you lose. Yeah. Especially there's there's a secret alliance against Steve. Right. So, um, that's another that's another bit of terminology for the snakes cast yeah, you're so need to know Steve about. Yeah, so Steve Tassie, the curator of the of the library. <laughs> Basically, there's this unspoken rule that anytime you're playing a game with Steve, the yeah. only rule is Steve's not allowed secret to win. Alli- secret alliance against so Steve. So everyone holds hands and doesn't let Steve win. <laughs> 100% of the time. We love you, Steve, really. As long as he's not winning the board games. Then 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 he must die. So bluffing is another term that comes out in poker a fair bit. Bluffing is a mechanism that comes out in any game where there's stuff that you know and the other players don't know, and you want to make sure they get the wrong idea about what you've got. In poker, a bluff is when you make a big bet despite the fact that you have a terrible weak hand. Playing strong when you have a weak hand is bluffing. There's also sandbagging. That's when you play weak when you have a strong hand, trying to trick people into thinking that they can win, so they bet big and they I never go. knew there was a term for that. I thought it was just a different style of bluffing. Well, unless you're playing poker, the term bluffing covers all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, pl- poker is so specialized and so centered around bluffing that they have to have separate terms for these things. Why sandbagging? Um... That's an interesting question. I'd like to look up the etymology of that. So it's, it's, it, it's, it is a trap. I suppose you drop a sandbag on somebody's head and they're, when they're watching. And sandbagging is a form of trapping. It's a, it's, it's a way to make a, to, to look weak so people will pounce on you and say, mm-hmm. aha, I'm actually strong. So that's, that's actually just a guess. I'm not a big poker player, unfortunately, so I don't know the lingo as well as I probably ought to. More into the, uh, the, the hobby game type stuff. But yeah, any game where you need the other players to get the wrong idea of what's going on with your secret stuff could be said to be a bluffing game. There's also uh, risk management, which a lot of people know is just like a Yahtzee mechanic. The Yahtzee mechanic being, you know, like you can roll your dice of your handful of dice up to three times, kind of keeping and re-rolling what you want. But at the third time, you have you're stuck with what you've got. So you can choose to keep what you've got to kind of have a little something a little weaker, a weaker result, or you can try to keep rolling to get a result that you might want more. Right. Do you want to play it safe? 
and get something mm-hmm. that's okay or do you want to take a risk and get something that might be awesome or might be terrible mm-hmm. and this is a little bit different than um, push your luck which is an other sort of like risk management t- style exactly. thing where like you have the option of continuing on and scoring more but if you fail you lose everything you have nothing versus if you stop now you might get less but you're guaranteed to have the results that you do big part of that is the other players egging you on saying come on come on try yeah. one more time go one more time go yeah, one more so time the classic sort of like push your luck game is can't stop which oh, is yeah. like devolves into this chorus of people screaming you can't stop you can't stop Jonathan you can't stop you gotta keep going you can't stop it's like a game show it really, it really yeah it really is. is and like you'd be amazed how many songs exist out there with like the the phrase can't stop or don't <laughs> stop in it so like I've seen people like build playlists it's really can't stop playlists just like really aggressive music about not stopping so yeah risk management risk is exciting I mean the term yeah. risk management sounds boring and like you're you know doing hedge funds or something but yeah. risk management in a game is usually really exciting because you have a choice to make to play it safe or to go big or go home mm-hmm. uh, what else have we got uh, hand management another very boring sounding thing which winds up being very cool. A hand management refers to having a hand of cards that you have to manage. And usually in a hand management game, you have a there's a question as to how many of your precious cards you're going to play right now and how many you're going to save for later. And if there's a maximum number of cards in your hand, which we call a hand limit, then you want to make sure that you use enough so that you're not going to go over that when you draw new cards and wind up with wasted stuff. Yeah, and you also have to kind of decide like what the value of your different cards are because mm-hmm. sometimes you have to discard down to you know X amount of cards at the end of your turn, and you won't have an opportunity to use everything. So you have to decide like what is more valuable right now, what right, is what's will be more keeping? valuable later, what do I keep, what do I trash. And there's a lot of games where there's, um, if you discard a card, then other people have the opportunity to take it. It, it ties back into basically like being a jerk to other people and other people being a jerk to you. This is a theme that we are going to be returning to a lot. Rummy is probably the most well-known example of a hand management mm-hmm. game because there you're picking up and discarding, you're picking up and discarding, trying to make the right combinations. And it's something that you can actually do a lot of really sophisticated stuff with in other games. There's also hidden objectives, which are basically like everyone's playing the same game, but everyone has a different objective that they're trying to do that sometimes other people know about and sometimes they don't. So, you know, we could all be playing the same game, but I want to collect X amount of these in order to win. But, you know, Jonathan has to get this far on the board. This mechanic comes up in all sorts of different games. This shows up in bluffing games and in like roll and move games and all that sort of stuff. It's basically just like makes it a little bit more interesting because sometimes having the same goal or getting the same amount of points, it just feels like you're doing the same thing as everyone else at the same time without any sort of individuality. Or... If it's interesting enough, mm-hmm. it's fine. But having that extra oomph of not knowing for sure what the other player's goals are. Mm-hmm. And trying can... to figure out what they're doing. And it's is really that relevant? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, are the, are that, okay, they just made this move. Does that mean they're trying for the win by doing this? Or does that mean they're trying to trick me? To, and then we're back to bluffing again. Mm-hmm. Bluffing t- turns up a lot in games that have this hidden objective mechanism for obvious reasons. Something else that can give a game more individuality is giving everybody not just a, a secret objective, but a unique role, unique abilities. Like, imagine 
if you were playing something like chess, only you've got red pieces and I've got blue pieces, and my blue pieces can all move diagonally, but your red pieces can't be captured by a piece that was standing right next to them. This asymmetry, this giving everybody something unique and special to them, is something that's kind of a hallmark of a lot of newer style games. Mm. You don't see this much before games like Settlers of Catan and the dawn of modern board games in the 1990s, but uh, it's something that a lot of people almost kind of expect nowadays in a game. It also gives more replayability to things, because Mm -hmm. sometimes you'll want to play a board game again just to experience it from that different sort of like perspective, almost, that different focus, because it can completely affect the way that you choose to strategize your game, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the some of the roles can be like so specific to certain things that you'll completely from one character let's say or from one role to another your strategy will be completely different and you'll be exploring elements of a game that you didn't even bother touching the first time around because it just didn't make sense with what you had yeah the whole game feels different mm-hmm. probably the, uh, the the poster child for this was a game called cosmic encounter which mm-hmm. our folks in the audience probably haven't heard of but Uh, For those of us who have been playing games for a long time, this game is kind of a a monolith of unique player abilities. The game comes with about 50 different alien races, and every time you play, each player gets one. And your one alien race has unique alien power, which completely borks one of the rules and makes it so that it's absolutely not the same for you as it is for anybody else. And that's one thing that's so great about player powers is that a lot of the time it's nothing new or weird is just a rule that doesn't apply to you. Mm-hmm. So they're never like particularly difficult or complicated to understand. It's just a thing that you get to ignore. And that replayability and that's then the way those and not just the, the way you play differently, but the way your differences interact with other players' differences. Mm-hmm. These um, okay, I'm gonna use a fancy word now, combinatorials. That's this is what happens when you have a bunch of different things interacting with each other. So it's not just the differences in the individual things, but the differences in the way those things combine to create something completely unique together. Kind of like having a different group of players sitting around a table playing a game. So this has lots of different terms. Unique character abilities, variable player powers. My stuff is different from your stuff. It's probably about as far as you need to go. But variable player powers is probably, if you're going to... if you're technical on, term. That's the technical term for it. That's it for Wednesday, Snakescast. And that's it for our basic introduction to mechanisms. See you on Friday, where we're going to talk about genres of games and get real technical. Thank you.